0: James here Welcome to the Ink to Film
1: podcast where we read the book And then see the movie I'm Luke And I'm James And this week we discuss Jonathan Nolan's 2001 short story Memento Mori And Christopher Nolan's 2000 film Memento always loved the idea of these two brothers, and one of them writes a short story, and one of them makes a film based off of that brother's short story, and both go on to be pretty successful. Obviously, you know, Christopher Nolan has had this huge career, but Jonathan Nolan too. I mean, he's involved in Westworld and all this stuff, and um, these two guys are super talented, and I don't know, it's just a story that I've always, like, the story of that is, has always seemed cool to me. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by
0: siblings who can work together this closely like uh you know my brother and i get along i feel like we could probably do a project like this but you have people like the cohen brothers or uh, more recently like the duffer brothers who are like co-directing and co-creating something like this and you know john jonathan nolan um i guess he wasn't as directly involved as something like the cohen's both directing a film but but you know he wrote the screenplay and he it was his story seed and um and i feel like that's definitely what the short story felt like to me is like um, a really interesting study in the seed of the
1: story that Christopher Nolan would take on to to make the movie. It's really, it, yeah, it's interesting in that way because um, as we talked about, and, you know, obviously with the years that these came out, uh, this short story, Memento Mori, was published in Esquire magazine in 2001, um, March, I believe, of 2001. And you can read that. It's online for free. You can just Google it and read it. It's a pretty short read. I recommend it. It's a good read, in my opinion. Um, but it's interesting because this film came out before it, (laughs) Um, even though it was sort of the original and it says adapted from based on or whatever in the opening credits to the movie. So what essentially that means is that Christopher Nolan was basing it off of an unpublished story from his brother. So in that way, it's like, it's like uh, the adaptation process was started at the same time as the creation process. So it's almost like these two were made together, right? Like almost more than your, your traditional adaptation.
0: Well, I, I assume that what happened was Jonathan Nolan wrote the short story, or at least like the the template or the outline of the short story, and then Christopher Nolan took that and started running with it, and and then it was published later. Like I'm assuming it was fully, almost fully written when he started his his uh,
1: screenplay for it. So I have a little story about that that I read. I read in an interview. Um, I'll just read it verbatim here. Uh, so this is Chris uh, Christopher Nolan talking about Memento and he says, the short story was written by my brother, Jonathan. I think he had a rough draft of it, but he told it to me verbally while we were driving from Chicago to LA. I asked if I could go ahead and write a screenplay of it while he kept writing his story because it was taking him a long time to get it into the form he wanted. And he said, fine. We both agreed that the most interesting approach to this concept by far was to tell the story from the first person point of view, putting the audience or reader right into the mind of the protagonist. So that's kind of what I was saying, right? Like it's it's almost happening at the same time because it was just a rough draft at that point. He wasn't even done with it.
0: Yeah. He so it was just he he was just given verbally the story and then and then ran with it and, and changed it in ways. But there are similar beats within it. Obviously, like the, the major sure. the major touchstones are the same. But you could almost they're...
1: see the. I mean, I don't know if it perfectly lines up, but you could almost see Memento Mori as a prequel to the film. Yeah. It depends on if
0: it depends on if you believe yeah. <laughs> uh our our narrator or our, the first person uh
1: perspective we get from uh Leonard. Are you talking about in the, the film? The, in the in film. The film. Okay. Leonard in the film, yeah. I thought you were gonna say it depends on if you believe Teddy a little bit too.
0: Definitely, yeah. Yeah. In that way, it also believing Leonard, because it's like you, you you believe one of them or I guess you could believe both of them. But but
1: Leonard's clearly we. I don't want to spoil anything right off the bat, yeah. so that's true. I guess we should we should keep it a little more spoiler free as possible, um, just in case you're curious and you check this out and you're like, "Oh, what's this Memento movie? Do I want to check it out?" Um, first off, I, I highly recommend it. This is um this is a great movie in my opinion. Um, one of my favorite Christopher Nolan movies. Super low budget com- by comparison to what we would see from this this director going forward, but um, for an early film, I'm just kind of blown away by. Um, the technical brilliance of the screenplay, the the sort of format of the film is so uh, unique and interesting to me that I, I'm I'm sort of fascinated by it. Uh, you know, I've talked a lot about these filmmakers who are students of film,
0: and and one of my favorite things is seeing people uh, more raw when they're when they're first starting out. And you know, this wasn't his first film, but Christopher Nolan in this film, you can see he is like somebody like. Spielberg was leaning on people like Hitchcock and, and other people uh, when he was coming up. And you can see that, that uh, Nolan is, is basically the same way. He's leaning on these like noir 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s, like noir narration, uh, black and white, unreliable yeah. narrators. All of these things are, are built into his, this story here. And I think it really is kind of his love letter to, to noir. And, and this is, I would say, part of a, of a big like neo-noir movement that happened in like the nineties and two thousands where um, you know, young filmmakers were coming up studying a lot of like older noir films and, and saying like, why don't we just take this and, and turn this into something more modern and something more updated and and see how it holds up. And, and obviously the format and the, the, the playing with form that, that Nolan does with the way that he gives us the, um, the non-literary story—the way that we're, we're given, like two two stories simultaneously heading towards the same point, one going backwards, one going forwards—that's uh, just in general. That's just a brilliant move um, in terms of to- selling an, telling an interesting story and playing with the form of film and doing something that you would be very difficult to articulate to an audience in a book. But you know, Jonathan Nolan does something similar in the in the uh, short story.
1: Yeah, and you know, like I, I don't want to say. I don't know if it's even possible to tell a story like this in a, in in fiction, but maybe it would be because I don't know if I would have thought it was possible to tell it in a movie either, if I hadn't seen this movie. Um, yeah. And, and the way that's what I was saying, like the the the, the brilliance of the way it's constructed is is astounding. Um, I'm going to shout out a YouTube video uh, by Lessons from the Screenplay, which I think is a YouTube channel we've talked about before, um, where where he he breaks down sort of the structure of the film and how these there's essentially a backwards moving in time plot and then a forwards moving in time plot and how you can like plot them out on a, on a straight timeline and how the climax of the film essentially happens in the middle um, of the story. And like that, just the idea of that is so crazy to me. Like to construct a story that works that way is so difficult and, and, the way that the climax comes together in this movie is is quite astounding. But before we really get to the movie, we should focus on the short story, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I, I do want to say one more thing about just the how this how this viewing and the the reading struck me. The interesting thing about this film is that when when you're rewatching it it's so engaging because it's jumping back and forth so much that it's so, it's almost incoherent. Sometimes you're like, where are we again? Or what are we doing right now? Um, like what's going on? And then it takes you a second to get caught back up. And that's kind of like Leonard, like he's every time he flips over and he's, he's into like having to learn who he is again and, and figure out like where he is and what's going on. Um, the viewer is feeling that as well. Like, you're like, oh, yeah. well, wh- what's going on? And you're kind of having to settle back into each scene. Um, yeah. And I feel like that keeps you, on repeat viewings, it, it, even though you know what's going to happen, it keeps you kind of whiplash. It keeps you kind of like, oh, what happens here? I can't re- really remember exactly what happens at this moment. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's something fun to... to j- Just the fact that the rewatchability is there, I think, is is um, something to note.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Because I, I think I was going to ask you, uh, I think I've probably seen this movie, I don't know, eight or nine times, maybe? Quite a, quite a few, I think. And And you're right. It's not like... It's not like I go into it knowing exactly what happens next because the story is so disjointed by design. And Christopher Nolan um, talks about it in these interviews, and it's talked about on that on that channel that that uh, that video that I'll I'll link in the show notes. Um, the format was done to create um, that sense of at the beginning of every part of the of the backwards moving story you're presented with a situation where you're going, wait, what's happening? And you have no idea. Like, as a viewer, you have no idea what's happening right now. But neither does Leonard. So you're in his shoes in that sense. Both of you are there together, completely confused about what's happening in the current moment. And the way that that is, st- is made interesting and not it doesn't completely lose you is, is actually really masterfully handled because... Um, it's done through a combination of things. Like one of them is we get this forward moving plot, the black and white, him talking on the phone about Sammy Jankis. Um, that essentially moves forward in time. And so that gives us a little bit of something to hold on to. Right. And and we also get some flashbacks, which are more like traditional narrative types things. And then at the same time, you have um, all these questions that are threaded in um, that, that drive you along through the story because in every scene, there's something that doesn't make any sense like uh his window has been shot out uh he has written uh something on the back of a photo and then scratched it out and and and, like there's there's all these little things that make you go well why was that there and so these questions build you like build up enough interest in the viewer to where you you're along for it even though you're so disoriented because every time we get a new scene it essentially answers one of those questions but tends to bring up a new one yeah Uh, which is i mean the way that that was meticulously crafted is is pretty astounding
0: and that and that's like the the grasp that he has on story and narrative is is definitely just like he's he's a genius and uh but i wanted to ask you because i have heard people talk about this movie and um say that it's just all right and i think that that has something to do with how invested you have to be like how you have to really you have to really buy into the story because um as you talked about the climax happens like in the middle and so when you get to the end things that you kind of thought so because we like i guess it's not a spoiler because it's the very first scene but we see we see teddy dead at the
1: beginning at the very very beginning we see him execute a man that we don't know who he is and we don't know why (laughs) right and so we learn later that that it's Teddy. throughout the story we learn that it's teddy yeah
0: Um, but so, so because we know that that happens, the ending, and because the climax is in the middle, we, we know what's happening at the ending, kind of like we've pieced everything together, which is part of the fun of the film, I would say, but also it leaves you kind of like, like the, the, it doesn't, it doesn't take you to the cliff and then, and then drop you off for the, for the ending, if you know what I mean, like it doesn't come down, it feels more like, um, it makes it kind of plateaus and it feels like it's it's leaving you on like a because it is because it's leading you into the beginning of the other story but what i'm trying to say is that it doesn't feel like an ending and i feel like that's something that i've heard people complain about is that you just like like the events played out and then there was no real ending because the ending happened in the movie uh like you know midway through or so
1: okay uh i i don't agree with that but i think i can see why people might say that it's it's hard because i feel like we really have to dig into the plot of the movie which i'm not sure if we're ready to do yet Um so we might need to kind of just pin that for later. Yeah. Um because I I, yeah, I do want to kind of try and engage with that criticism. Um I do think there's also a valid look at this as a movie that is at its heart about a man who is being motivated by the murder of his wife, essentially fridging a character um to motivate this man on a revenge, you know, hunt, which like on the surface sounds like kind of like a million other movies, right? So, well, it, on the, and on the surface, that's like, that's like your prototypical noir film, like exactly. detective cop noir film, yeah. like something like And if like you're that. not into that and you're, and like, you hear that premise and you're like, I don't want to watch that movie, then the idea of like, oh no, but you have to see like all the cool ways in which it plays out because of his interior grade amnesia and all this stuff, like someone might be like, I still don't care because ultimately that's what the movie is at its core. Right. Um, even though like, even I, I would argue Christopher Nolan plays with that even more, but, um, so I can see maybe some of that criticism, too, um, leveled at this movie, um, which I'm sympathetic towards. But uh, I guess I'm, I'm an, I, I, you know, we've talked about it before that, like, we're, we're these kind of movies are aimed at people like us, you know, our demographic. And so, you know, it's hard for me to, to, to say I completely don't enjoy it because I do. I did still enjoy this movie, um, regardless of that being the premise. Um, it was good enough. And then and then everything else on top of it just elevates it to another level to me to where i think this is a truly great movie i don't know are you so when you're saying other people have said this to you are you do you agree with them or are you somewhere in the middle or are you, where are you at no i I, br- I brought it up because i was having a
0: conversation with somebody about memento and they were they were telling me that like the, the their problem with it is that it doesn't feel like another movie and i was kind of saying that that's that's why I, that's part of why i enjoy it is because it's like i like i like a a film that's different for the sake of being different sometimes for a new experience where we're you know we're we're getting a disjointed story not in in like a tarantino way where like the it's like a disjointed narrative it's like it's like fully taking the form of like time and memory and and yeah. flipping them in a way that you will never we never have seen before and we never will see again
1: and that and that's and that's kind of the brings me back to the point of that video and, and i totally agree with it um and honestly like this is all stuff i was kind of writing down anyway and it just i, I was i was reminded of the video i had seen in the past But yeah, like this is all done with a purpose of simulating the mental state of the protagonist and forcing the viewer into that uh, disorientation along with the protagonist of this. So it's not just done just to be weird and different, you know? Exactly, yeah.
0: It'd be, it's like the equivalent of, say, like, um, everybody talks about the scene in Saving Private Ryan with that in Spielberg, Saving Private Ryan, where they're on. It's the the beaches of Normandy and the D-Day. And it was like the the shakiness. And, and like, basically, there's just the kinetic nature that he brought to that. It's like it, he engages with he uses the camera to engage you and make you feel like you're there. And in the same way, Nolan is doing that with the format of this film. He's saying, like, this is what the character is going through. So we're going to put you in his shoes physically like like with uh, like along with the narrative of the story baked yeah. into it we're gonna have you feel the same way and that's the thing it's more than just like a viewing experience it, it really is like a it is like a an experience it's a mental experience because you are as disoriented as leonard
1: yeah well let's talk a little bit about jonathan nolan's short story because I, I feel like i have a lot more to say about the film but i'm not i'm not ready to, to get into all of it yet but um the short story itself is is an interesting read i think it attempts to do some similar things but using different tools um one of the main ones being that we get a second person narration where it's like you 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 and it's somebody talking to uh, it feels like they're talking to you the reader but then it, you realize that it's sort of um and, and his name is not Leonard in the story it is his name is Earl in the story and in um Earl is sort of talking to himself with these you second person Um, parts but then we also get this third person narration speaking about earl in sort of an omniscient way and the disorientation there comes for like comes from that like not really knowing who we are what perspective we're in and whether or not what is being told to us we can believe it or not is it is it reliable or not that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um and and just to track the story as i as i kind of understand it essentially earl is in a hospital um and he he wakes up and he immediately has to like figure out where he is he reads some stuff written on like the ceiling fan i think or on the ceiling above him telling him that you're in a hospital room it's your this is where you live now something like that and um he is he calls himself the 10 minute man he knows he has a condition and just like in the movie his wife was murdered And he is, like, constantly having to relive the, like, finding that out, essentially. Because every time Mm -hmm. he wakes up, he kind of has to find that out again. And that's, like, the really tragic heart of this character, right? Is this is a man who is stuck in the, um, eternally, in the, like, most horrific moment of his life. It's, like, the last real memory he has, right? And the idea that he's, he's caught in a loop of the the worst 10 minutes of his life playing over and over and over again like it, it's it's amazing that he's not completely driven insane by it honestly
0: yeah i found his so you were talking about the disorientation from the kind of third person nar- uh, narration mm-hmm. did you it, it's really weird because it's almost as if he's re- like recounting the events um when in a, in some like alternate i don't know timeline or something like that where he was where he's able to gain all of his memories back and still recount this story like to himself almost does that make any sense
1: um, it feels like it, it not really but i but i also like get what you're saying because i feel i felt the same way like the narration almost doesn't make sense in that way
0: yeah because it's it's like it's like clearly he has this this amnesia or whatever it's called what was it
1: Anterograde amnesia i think is what what they call it okay. in the film I, i'm not sure if they name it that in the story or not i don't remember
0: so he has this disease, and there's no way that he could, uh, or this injury, uh, there's no yeah. way that he could he could have this sort of coherent and like continuous like thought to, to uh, recount everything. And yet that's the perspective we're getting it from. And then sometimes it's also like directed towards us, um, which would be towards him, basically. Towards himself, um, yeah. It, it, yeah, I find it to be really interesting. It's uh, almost
1: like, in those parts, it's like, I don't know, if maybe we're supposed to be thinking that's in a notebook or something that he's reading, right? Because that I'm, was kind of the feeling I was getting.
0: And some of that time, some like like there's a couple times where we kind of are. Yeah. Um so I actually had a question with the book and the and the movie in this case. He I guess specifically the movie, because this this backs up my point, he repeatedly is saying so the last thing he remembers is his wife. Yeah. And and like his wife dying and, and the the person basically that he killed and somebody who'd like knocked him out. How is it that every single time he switches back he's able to tell people that he has a disorder or a disease because he wouldn't remember that technically, right? He wouldn't remember being diagnosed with anything?
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, a lot of this is kind of unclear and I, and you know what honestly, I don't think it's really I don't think it's really cheating because um these sorts of uh, disorders and and sort of like mental things that can happen, and this is a real thing that can happen. Um, it's, it's, it's so rare that there's not a lot of hard and fast rules about it. Um, and I think it, it is inconsistent. I think there are certain things that people can learn. And he talks about conditioning, um, in the film. And, and that's a way that sometimes people are able to learn things. And so maybe he's conditioned himself to know that he has a condition, or something, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, there's there could be answers to this, and we're not really given them. Yeah, it was um, just. I
0: mean, I I wasn't like trying to nitpick. It was just something no, that, no, no. that like, I, like occurred to legit. me. It was just I was just thinking like, oh, this kind of like in in a way I can see where like if he had a tattoo that said like you have the, you have a something and maybe disease he does. We like, don't see
1: all of his tattoos. Right. Right. We so see most. I'm of willing
0: them. to forgive it. I'm willing to like say like, oh, who who really knows?
1: Well, and also like he has a tattoo that says John G raped and murdered my wife in the film, right. and but we also know that this is something that he supposedly remembers. So you could say, why does he feel, why did he feel the need to tattoo that on himself? And he, you know, and I think the implication is he's worried he will forget. Um, And that's actually, that's actually comes
0: back to the, to the story in the, in the short story where he, uh, they talk about like time as the enemy of, of motivation basically, or the, the enemy of anger and the way that like, as time goes on, it heals all wounds and it, and it like kind of quells people's anger and it, and it like uh, people are able to forgive and forgiveness is kind of weakness and in, in, in the eyes of someone who's seeking revenge or something like that mm-hmm. and he's he I, I thought this was fascinating in the way that it was he was extrapolating this out um and because he lives his life in these segments he's able to like continue that vengeance and that anger and, be, and because yeah.
1: like he does it have can't to, fade for him
0: yeah. right it can never fade. It'll always be the, the last thing he remembers. It'll always be right there, um, which I found to be like just internally um, a really interesting look at at someone with a, I, I, you know, I never thought about memory in that way before.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, and, and the tragedy of that character is, is pretty powerful to me um, because of that. Um, but wh- I found a line here that I wrote down that speaks to what you were talking about with the third person narration um, just quickly here. And I've, I wrote it down because it stood out to me as being odd. Um, this is when we're in third-person narration, so the he here is referring to Earl. It says, maybe he begins to cry. Maybe he just stares silently at the picture. And so that's uncertainty by the point of the omniscient narrator, which is odd, because if you're an omniscient narrator, you should know what happened, right? Right. So that implies that the omniscient narrator maybe doesn't know everything either, um, Mm -hmm. which is disorienting in a way, right? Because then it's like, can I even trust what this point of view is saying to me and i think the whole point of
0: the the both stories is just like it it, you kind of have to decide what you what you want the story to be what you piece together because ultimately like even in the end there's like the whole thing with like the taxi and the and the cop car and it's like was it was it a cop car that he was leaving in or was it a taxi you know what i mean was it yeah was it a good ending or a bad ending you kind of have to piece it together for yourself and decide what what well it's disorienting
1: because it seems like maybe he killed the man that he was meant to kill but that comes right back around to the tragedy of this character because he doesn't he immediately forgets they yeah, did
0: it which which that scene became a scene in the film I believe basically the the same right scene where well he that's why I was
1: saying like you could kind of see this as maybe a prequel to what we see in the movie which is uh, I don't want to go I we'll talk about it more when we get to the movie cuz it could be kind of spoilery to get into why but okay. um I just had
0: I had one more yeah. thing that I wanted to talk about cuz you mentioned um the institution and, and like Earl being in the institution. And, um, I, I found a, an interesting line that, that kind of leads into the movie. We, we can talk about it more when we get there, but after his wife's death, Sammy is shown sitting in a mental, mental institution, which lines up with the idea. You're talking of, about in the movie, in the movie. Yeah. Sammy. Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, sitting in a mental institution, um, briefly after someone walks in front of him and before the scene cuts back to leonard on the phone sammy is actually replaced by leonard sitting in the same chair it, there's actually a shot of it I, I i watched a video that that show was showing it so i actually caught it the,
1: this this time watching it too i noticed did it. you
0: yeah so i thought that was it was cool and it so it says this supports the conclusion that the tragic end of sammy's story is actually an event from leonard's own past just as teddy later tries to convince him so it's like you can you can choose to to take that as a clue and say, like, this is definitely what happened. Or you can say, like, is Nolan just fucking with me and and messing with memories
1: and playing into that? Uh, The Sammy Jenkins stuff is honestly, like, getting kind of spoilery for the movie. So I think we we hold off on talking about that more. I do really want to talk about it. But let's hold off just a little bit. Finish off the short story. Okay, yeah, let's finish it up. Okay, so I have a couple more things I want to say about the short story. And I have a section here that I actually want to read, because um, one of the things that's nice about this, I think one of the things that the short story does that the movie does a little bit of, but the short story actually does it a lot is in some ways liken his experience to everyone's experience and how we all forget things and how all of us live in sort of a transient state of, um, shifting identities. And, um, I, I, I have a quote here that kind of sums all that up in my opinion. And I thought it was cool. Cause that's something that they touch on a little bit in the film, but, but you know, the, the short story I think is able to lay it out more clearly. We're all at the mercy of the limbic system, clouds of electricity drifting through the brain. Every man is broken into 24-hour fractions, and then again within those 24 hours. It's a daily pantomime, one man yielding control to the next, a backstage crowded with old hacks clamoring for their turn in the spotlight. Every week, every day, the angry man hands the baton over to the sulking man, and in turn to the sex addict, the introvert, the conversationalist. Every man is a mob, a Chang gang of idiots. Uh, yeah, end quote. So I thought that was that was a cool quote, you know, the, the idea, and I, I feel like we all feel that way sometimes, right? Where like mm-hmm. one of us is like, you know, talking on the podcast, and then after this, like the next person's like the hungry guy who's going to go and like raid the fridge, you know, like it's almost yeah. a different person, <laughs> you know, it's like it's weird.
0: <laughs> it, it's it's it yeah. It really makes you get in your own head because it does it comes to even like motivation or like like the the moment of of you doing There'll be times in your life Where you do something or you say something and you're just really proud of yourself and you're like, wow I've really killed it and he mentions like there's the every man has that moment Where you know, like you you understand the world you understand the universe like it's it's at your it's at your Grasp like you've got everything within the palm of your hand and you could do anything and then the next minute you're just like in like you're you're the opposite of that you're just like you're you're dealing with uh you know something going on in your life or or like um something that takes your attention away from it and then you're almost you're almost like shifting into a different person until you come back around to that moment where you just like everything lines up
1: again for you yeah Um, that's like the uh I've, i've heard different rock stars talk about about the sort of weird experience of being on stage in front of hundreds of thousands of people in these massive like festivals and just ha- and just being the center of everyone's attention, right? And then like the next day, they're at home and they're having to take out the garbage, and yeah. and like how how weird of a change that is and a shift and and how they have to. Like, which one of them is the real person in a way you know what I mean and like it, it, it can be this strange thing but even for like everyday people like like um you
0: know like uh, sometimes things will come easy to you sometimes like yeah. like you know what I mean like I'm sure even with your writing it'll be like one day you'll sit down and it'll just be gold all the way through yeah. and then the next day you might you might sit down and you're just like what was it yesterday that was so special like how did I tap into that and how do I mm-hmm. how do I replicate it and and that's the kind of stuff that makes me think like what 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 really is that? you know what is that yeah. that that i mean you affects? could break
1: it into a million pieces right like the, the 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 version of me that loves watching a film like memento is almost a different person than the version of me who will occasionally turn on an episode of supernatural and just like have it on and, and have it just be this trashy watch you know like not this you know not to not to shit on that show but like i actually do watch it and but i know that it's not highbrow, you know, like, super smart television, which is what I don't normally watch. Um, and in some ways, like, you could say, like, oh, it's stupid to try and differentiate. They're all the same person. Maybe it's, that's what it is. Like, it's all facets of the same person. It's all pieces of your brain or pieces of your personality, uh, maybe. Um, but regardless, I think, I think it is interesting to think of it that way. And uh, this story is trying to shine a spotlight on that and, and show a man who is that to the extreme where every 10-minute section of himself is more disconnected from the next than, than it is for you and me. So the other thing in the, so- in the short story that is kind of interesting is that it does, it does progress um, chronologically, unlike the film, right? Like, it's, it's fairly straightforward as far as timeline, even though you're disoriented in perspective. And the character himself is in, is, is, even though it's not in first person as much as this, like, second person deal, he seems confused all the time, too right so he's confused about what's happening and that's a stout that's kind of a done by by big jumps like he's in a whole new place now and he doesn't know how he got there and what exactly is happening and he jumps again and he's somewhere else and then it jumps again and like you said he's in the back of a car and he doesn't know if it's a taxi or a police car and he doesn't know if in, in, he thinks there's a dead person and he doesn't know if he killed him or not
0: well it seems like he's like smiling one way or another like he i think it's i think that he did whether and it's whether he got a cop car or a taxi yeah. out of
1: there I think he did too, but um I, it, the story that that's how it I'm saying that's how it establishes this sort of like um disconnected uh, confusion that you get in the movie like that's the way right. that the story does it. um another thing that I think is interesting um memento mori do you know what that means
0: no, I couldn't tell you what the mori part means
1: so I, I don't remember if it's the exact translation, but it's essentially like remember to die um and it's the idea of someone. I guess it's a practice where, like, people would keep, like, a skull or, um, I don't know, some sort of keepsake from a grave. And they would keep it as a memento, just like you would, you know, which is, like, the name of the film. Um, just, like, something that's like, reminds you of the past, right? Um, but a memento mori is a rem- not just a, mem- a reminder of the past, but a reminder of death in a way, too. Like, remember that you're going to die one day, or remember this person who died, or what whatever it may be.
0: And I mean, the story makes the point of of telling the story of like in the in the old days, people would die and they would have to have a bell set up in order There's to a really bell. make sure. Yeah, it. and so it has to do with like coming back from the dead or like or like dying basically. And so he he him getting that bell, it would be his memento mori. Then I'm assuming
1: maybe I think you could also read it as um, in a larger sense that he sort of is that like he he sort of he is the he is like his wife's memento mori in that way like. Or like like he's remembering her death and and, and he, he it's a constant reminder of it. Um, I don't know. I think there's kind of I think there's multiple ways to kind of read it. I do think the bells right. is, is an example of that. I think um, in the in the film we get the, there's like a hairbrush and a book and a few other things that are lingered on for a while that you could say are memento mori's themselves in the way because they're reminding him of his de- you know deceased wife. But I just thought that was interesting when when I saw that that was the name of it.
0: Yeah, it wasn't familiar. That's cool. I'm glad that I know that now. I, I, you remind me of a scene that I wanted to talk about in the in the mental institution where he is kind of scoffing at himself about the signs that are up on the walls. And uh, and one of them specifically is like, um, you know, if you're going to light up another cigarette, make sure that the, the, the one, like the, there's not already a lit one. And he yeah. kind of like scoffs at himself and he like turns around to find a lit one in the ashtray, which just goes to show that like it's been like 10 minutes. If, if that, since his last like flip over... Um, so just just to be in that mindset like he goes from like laughing at himself Like how could I forget that to being like shocked and realizing like how how like
1: bad his situation is because it was it did Just happen to him. I mean and that's one thing that I think is consistent for both is it's like It almost stretches believability that you would be able to function at all.
0: Oh, definitely and that's what I mean like like because he has his memories from before I get it, but what happens 20 years from then if when like everything like he's living in a totally different world or like even yeah. 10 years later or
1: it just seems like it you it'd be so easy to just get completely lost especially in the movie where he's like free and out and just like going wherever he wants to go right. um you know and I know he has his polaroids and he has his system um but it's just enough i guess for me to I think to we just have to yeah but I if I really think about it, I'm like, man, it would be so hard to just function from the moment to moment.
0: We have to suspend disbelief that each time he flips over, he's he's going through his notes and going through his photos and going through everything, reliving every single thing in order to get to that point just so he can be caught up from the last kind of um, yeah. m- memory at the time that he had. He would, he would have to go through all of his yeah. nose, go through all of his tattoos to figure out what he's doing, where he's going, and we just have to assume that he does that every single time before it. Or, like or that there's
1: some level of conditioning there where he just kind of intuitively remembers it, even though maybe he can't put words to it. He just kind of knows that that's what he's doing. Possible. Right. right. Um, so I wanted to talk about the last line here because I thought it was interesting. The final line of the story is, life is a cheap parlor trick. And I thought it was worth noting that there's no period at the end of that sentence, um which you know what's funny is I just assumed that that Esquire it was like a typo or something <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not uh definitely a choice in in my opinion and i and, and you know maybe I'm wrong, but I think it was a choice because it makes sense to me because I read that like um maybe the 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 author a k a the narrator right the Earl himself. Um, goes on like this on one hand or forgot to put a period, right? Like almost like a, just a little like nod to forgetfulness that maybe exists in all of us or especially this character. So, I, I I don't know I don't know that it means exactly one thing, but I think it does yeah. have some sort of meaning. In my opinion,
0: it would be tough to nail it down, but yeah, I, I like what you're saying with like the idea. Maybe maybe like in that moment, he's re, he's been able to recount everything to himself or the audience or whatever he's trying to do because he does it. He does address himself sometimes and say like, I wish that you could you could understand this, and I wish that you could know this and this. And he's not saying it to us; he's saying it to himself from the past. Yeah. He's or like from the future or whatever it is. He's like, I wish I could articulate all this stuff. To you so it's like it is almost like he's telling himself and then he's also telling us and then maybe yeah that there at the end he was was he like the memory clicked over and and he was like starting a new a new cycle and yeah. like maybe he didn't have like he couldn't write the period because it was just like what am i doing
1: yeah i don't know man um interesting choice uh, definitely by jonathan nolan esquire magazine by the way um i'm not i i don't know anything about their how, how you get a story published there i they assume they're a market that you have to have an agent who has the Who knows how to get a hold of somebody there? They probably don't take unsolicited. Anyway, just the writer in me is like, is Esquire magazine taking short stories? Because um, <laughs> they're they're definitely a market you don't hear about a lot. At least I don't. Um, publishing a ton of short stories, but I don't have a subscription or anything, so maybe I'm wrong. Um, but it's always interesting when you hear stuff like that. I I, he, I bet he got paid more than five cents a word. Let's just say that. <laughs>
0: well especially after after it's it was said that it's the source material for memento the film that already came yeah, out
1: that already came out yeah yeah so uh, speaking of the film that already came out um, I am excited to move on and talk about that but we gotta do a little bit of housekeeping before we do because we have a big milestone coming up
0: yeah we're coming up on a hundred uh, this is episode ninety nine and and uh, I can't believe we we're here. It's we're, we're one week away from from our 100th yeah. episode.
1: Penultimate episode. Is it season 1? Is that what the first 100 is? <laughs> Are we 100 maybe. episode seasons? <laughs> 100 episode seasons. That's <laughs> No, it feels like it feels like we're already in our like third season. Just my feeling of it. I don't I don't maybe anymore. I don't know. We have we've never really thought of it that way, but uh I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm I'm astounded that we're coming up on our 100th episode. Uh, it's really cool, um, and one of the, we're doing a couple things surrounding it to, to sort of celebrate and to to uh, move ahead past it. And, and one of the things we're doing is we're inviting you, our listener, to answer a question and send it to us in a recording using, like, the app on your phone, uh, voice memo app, something like that. Keep the clip under 60 seconds and answer one of three questions, which are, James. What's a novel that you want to see adapted? Yes. What is, is your favorite?
0: Them. What is your favorite adaptation?
1: Yes, and and what's the third one? What's an upcoming adaptation you're excited about? There it is. That's it. So those are the three questions. We we have no preference. Pick whichever one interests you most. Uh, include your first name and where you're from, and answer that question. Send it to us, uh, and and we'll we'll include you in the episode. Um, we we still have slots that we can we can fit some more people in. Um, we're excited to do it and it'll give us something to talk about on the episode we're going to talk about all of these different topics and uh yeah hopefully you take us up on that uh ink-to-film at gmail.com is we're going to want to send those
0: and we're also doing a patreon special offer uh if you're a patron by what is it august twelfth, 11th august 11th uh, yep uh if you're a patron by august 11th you'll be getting a, a coin for a jukebox uh, right. that you can put towards any project that you are interested in us covering You know, if even if your project doesn't get enough coins, we still move it up the list
1: and and would like to cover it. Yeah, we'll consider it like a vote towards towards like, hey, I want this thing. One of the cool things, too, that I don't know if we've mentioned in the past, if we end up doing a project that has tokens towards it, but it hasn't been fully paid off, like unlocked, if we end up doing one of those, those tokens will get refunded to the people who put them there and you'll be able to put them on another project. So so in that way you might be able to get more than one thing out of it. You know, if you think yeah, of it. Yeah, you can way. kind of
0: vote and then maybe get your coin back and vote again. Yeah. Um I'm looking forward to it. I think it's cool. It's a cool way for for the listeners to kind of dictate what they want to listen to. Um and ultimately I just I'm excited to see like what what weird stuff we cover next.
1: Yeah, and, and uh that's patrons at all levels. So you don't have to do the jukebox hero like higher level thing that normally gets tokens. This is gonna be across all levels you're gonna get a token. And uh, also, we just put out a our 15th special Patreon episode um, this last week, and that was covering the uh, adaptation news and trailers that came out of Comic-Con 2019, San Diego Comic-Con, I should say. Yeah,
0: that was fun. We talked about a, um, a lot of interesting projects. Honestly, everything I'm looking forward to. Yeah. uh for the most part and then we got into some marvel
1: talk so if you want to hear us yeah. talk some some comic stuff we watched the trailer for it chapter two and the watchmen and several like that we watched them we like paused the episode went and watched them came back and gave our like immediate reactions so if you want to hear that definitely another reason to sign up that and 14 other episodes that we've already done is, is bonus content are waiting for you on patreon that's patreon.com forward slash to film
0: so we've already talked about the film here and there, but uh mm-hmm. let's move into full spoilers, talk about everything. Uh Yeah, let's
1: do it. We're long enough into the episode. Let's let's just <laughs> go full spoilers. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh
0: so let's let's jump back to the uh to the Sammy Jenkins stuff because we were we wanted to talk about that and I, I had kind of posed the well, uh, the this, this stuff to you.
1: Okay. Um so what happens is Teddy reveals that uh he he kind of pokes at, at, at Leonard and says, do you know who you are? That's who you were. Do you know who you are? And you don't have any idea. Right. And one of the things he says is, is that he essentially says, you are Sammy Jenkins. You're you're one and the same person. And then we have this moment where Leonard has a flashback to his wife, where he remembered pinching her and her saying, ow. And then he has like flashes to him, giving her a injection. um, And she says, Ow. And then, uh, then it flashes back as he goes, no, 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 she wasn't diabetic. And then it flashes back to the pinch. Um, and this is all in relation to the Sammy Jinka story, which is essentially about a guy who had his same condition that he investigated when he was an insurance investigator. And um, long story short, his wife um, essentially committed suicide by testing him and telling him to keep giving her um, these insulin shots and, and testing to see if he would remember that he'd already given them to her and he didn't. Um, Because she was convinced that he was faking. And the supposition that Teddy is making is that that is actually Leonard's story, that his wife survived the assault, and that that she ended up actually dying from this happening. And so I want to ask you, do you think that this is true? Uh,
0: No, I don't think so. But... I I don't know. You know, I think it's ultimately left up to interpretation. It's not how I interpreted it, but but um, I I didn't think that he was. I think the it's it's possible that that's what Christopher Nolan wanted you to do think. But I think for me, I I didn't think that uh, Sammy Jenkins and him were one and the same.
1: Okay, even with the frame of swapping him out in the in the institution and all that.
0: Yeah, mostly because the. I mean, like I said, I think that he's playing with it. I think that it's like it's obvious that that he wants you to think that whether it ultimately is that or not. I don't think he answers.
1: I think that it's it's left up to interpretation. But I definitely agree with that. I definitely think this but, is open ended in that sense.
0: Yeah, but the the my main thing was was when he um, when he was telling him that uh, he killed his wife with the insulin. My I guess my main reason for for thinking that it wasn't he wasn't Sammy was because he remembers everything before he he got the injury and unless his wife developed diabetes, she wasn't diabetic before the injury.
1: Well he but then that memory of him, the pinch that swapped to a insulin shot would have been from before the injury. Right, but so he that would could, be it like, was potentially a memory that he has just trained himself remember to forget. It.
0: Right. I mean, maybe you know like I mean? like I said, but that was that was my main that was my main standing ground. Okay. The reason why I felt like it wasn't well,
1: and if you read it that way, then Leonard is more heroic in this film, in a sense, because Teddy was manipulating him fully, right, like completely lying to him and trying to convince him of something that's not true.
0: Yeah. And I think that the movie flip-flops on that. I think that, that initially you're like, Teddy's clearly a bad guy. And then you're like, oh, wow, Teddy's like a bad guy, but in a different way than we thought. Like, we thought he was like the rapist murderer, but it turns out he's just a dirty cop. And then it kind of flips back to maybe he was in more involved. Well, and I think I there's know.
1: a middle ground there where you actually think that he's killed an innocent man too, right? Like, there's a little while yeah. where like, he seems like, oh, this guy was actually trying to help him out and he ended up killing him. What the hell? Because I, I felt like there was a lot of moments in the movie because it goes on a long time where you don't know why he wrote Don't Believe His Lies. Yeah. And it's really interesting how that one line he writes on the back of that, of that thing, which we don't we get the genesis of that until the end of the movie, and it immediately ripples backwards through the rest of the movie. And, and we dictates- can see how it, it changed everything.
0: Yeah, it dictates how we see Teddy throughout because we, we're like, okay, we are believing our narrator. Like our, our initial reaction as the audience is to believe our narrator because in most films, you have a reliable narrator. But okay. we don't have a reliable narrator. And, well, this, and by narrator, do you
1: mean like the author of the, of the notes? Like who wrote the notes? I just mean like our character, like, like our, okay. our main character because he, he
0: clearly wrote to himself. He wrote, don't, don't, don't trust his lies. So not trusting his lies means that you're setting up the audience to not trust him throughout the entire movie, no matter what he says or how good he seems.
1: Well, and that's the thing, like he has to trust in the infallibility of these notes. And that's the tricky thing because, um, and that's like the nature of memory that gets discussed in the thing. Like, it's just not, it's just not, he talks about facts and it's so funny how like facts even themselves can be slippery, right? And what Mm -hmm. do they mean and interpretations of them? And and we see him making snap judgments and writing things down that future him takes as gospel and doesn't remember the context in which it was written. Well, like
0: clearly and and the biggest moment of that is at the very end when he when he just decides like Teddy's a bad guy and I'm going to write down his license plate number and set him up as the murderer. Like in my own
1: mind, future in my own future. You can be my John G. And uh, so so I read it differently. Um, I think he is Sammy Jenkins. And I think Teddy is telling him that in the moment and and revealing to him that he's been using his revenge lust to take out people. Teddy is a bad dude. He's been using he I think he's I think he's telling the truth when he says he was the cop who was investigating him. He was trying to get the money and and like take advantage of the situation. Yeah. And then he decided to he, he actually I think he did actually kill John G. Um, although there's they, even that they give it in a, such a way of like, maybe there isn't a John G. Maybe he never existed. But then he says like, no, nah, they were just a couple of junkies who, who didn't, you know, were too strung out to, to realize there was another person at home. I think is what he says. So I'm taking that to be true. And then I also think that the Sammy Jenkins is Leonard story is true. And so I think that makes what happens there a lot darker because what I see there is Leonard choosing to craft a reality that is more comforting to him. And he's choosing to, he wants to erase what he's done in the same way that he burns the photo, right? The Mm -hmm. proof of him having murdered these men, he burns those. And the smile that he has on his face in that one photo of like, just after he killed him the first time. um, Right. Supposedly. He burns those photos and he sets up this Teddy to be John G to erase that part of him so he doesn't have to live in a world where a he killed his wife and b he's gone on to kill all these other people right and i think that is the more dark and there, because it does feel like the way
0: that that nolan would be telling a story um would be unconventional he, he wouldn't want it to have the happy ending he wouldn't want yeah. it to have something that that seems um i don't know like i said conventional it just yeah. isn't set up to be that kind of a movie so for it to kind of have more of a happy ending and more of a uh or at least a yeah. an ending with a with a character who has a little less like blood on their hands or, or yeah it, I, it makes sense for it to be darker
1: yeah and i think the reason i like that and and i kind of i kind of went into the movie um because like you like we talked about like it's hard to keep this whole movie in your head at the same time sometimes, especially after, after long periods of not having seen it. And so I went in going like, isn't he Sammy Jenkins? Isn't that kind of, what's the reveal that happened at the end? Right. And so I was kind of remembering that. And so from the whole movie, I was sort of watching it with that view.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it colored the, all the earlier scenes where he was talking about the problems that Sammy Jenkins had with not uh, having a system. Like his problem was he didn't have a system. His problem was this. Like, he says that several times, and that reminds me of, like, the story when he's, like, like calling himself an idiot and stuff. Like, it's, like, it, it, almost like he, he has externalized past versions of himself that were worse off and, like, couldn't handle things so badly that it led to the death of his wife. And so he's externalized that as this other person who he can, he can distance himself from and say, I am not like Sammy Jenkins. I'm not going to make the same mistakes. So... Um, yeah
0: so uh just a question on the the basically the the situation with the diabetes thing for you is that he he remembers it as a pinch and then and then teddy makes him remember it as a as a poke as as like a an insulin shot um and then like the what nolan's trying to say with it going back to the pinch is him making the decision to remember it that way
1: Yes, I think so because he talks about how memory can change the color of a car, can change like he can talk about. He was talking about how a fable it is and eyewitness testimony, which is true, and um, yeah, I think that's him making the decision that he doesn't want to remember it that way, and yeah. and yeah, I, that that was how I read that scene.
0: Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I, I'm starting to lean more into into the into your uh, your territory for sure.
1: <laughs> it's but... okay. I I honestly think it's like Blade Runner, man. Like I think this is a movie that is open ended. And open to interpretation. Maybe, uh, and, and I'm just glad there's not like three different versions out there. <laughs> well, no,
0: I, I definitely think I definitely think that it is, and I think there's there's still there's still some clues there to say that maybe he is, maybe it is the more happy ending. But as far as as far as um like what you brought up with the whole movie is about memory. So like if it wasn't if the ending wasn't about memory as well, and the way that it could they, that it's subjective and the way that it can change, um, I think that I think that that makes a lot of sense
1: for like what he was ch- what story he was trying to tell. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Carrie Ann Moss as as Natalie in this movie, because I think she's a really interesting character, and, and I love the way there, there's these reveals, right? And the whole time we're thinking that he has this love connection with her, and she's this, like, you know, uh, character who's just helping him out of the goodness of her heart and all this stuff, and then there's the, all of a sudden that reveal of just how terrible she was to him, and then the gut punch of him, of knowing that he did, forgets it, right? And, and that's and she the scene. causes him to forget it by hiding the pens like she knows he'll forget it and is completely manipulating him man
0: and that's the scene from the book that like just the, the, when he's trying to find the pen too you're just like oh my yeah. god she she grabbed the pens on her way out like she was that vindictive about it she was like she knew how, how to manipulate him how to take advantage of him and and like we yeah it's used against us the audience as well because we just we assume that she is from the kindness of her heart helping him um yeah.
1: There's an interesting part, too, where he where he's um, feeling his fist because he's asking her like how she got hurt. Yeah, he, well, she that says that the... Dodd did it. But then he like feels his fist and he can tell that he's like hit something recently. That,
0: and that's the main that's the main uh, reason why, like if you're looking for it when when he was doing that in this viewing, I remembered I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly it's because this this whole thing plays out again in a second. She comes back in and he punches her and and like that's how it that's how it all went down. But that that like hand like kind of looking at his knuckles gave it away. Um
1: but it's also like him, it's also saying something about perception, though. Like, it's like what he wants to believe. Like, he doesn't want to believe that he hit her. That doesn't make any sense. So he yeah. ignores that, you know? Yeah. It's like the fallibility of our perceptions and of our memories. And it's, it's all just, like, turned up to 11 here because of his condition. But it's in, some, in a way, it's talking about our own perceptions, right, too.
0: I want to talk about the scene in the bar where um, she gets that guy to spit in, in the cup. And then he, she spits yeah. in the cup and he spits in the cup. And then she, like, gives it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy's laugh. Uh, so so the way it plays out is so interesting because we get it and she's like i think this one's a little dusty that's the first time that's really the first instance we get of the cup and then the scene plays out backwards where we see like why she took it away
1: yeah we hear the guys laugh which i think is i think is so ridiculous and like over the top because it's it's noticeable and you're going to remember like why did that fucker laugh like that right yeah
0: yeah and uh, and then, yeah, to see it play out the way it does and then to see him still drink it at the end of the scene to lead into that scene where she like it, it was just. Yeah, it, it's cool. Yeah, it's And it really it's kind of reminds me of that cigarette scene from the from the uh, story.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, did you notice that there is a young Tom Lennon in this movie? No, I didn't really. Where? When? He is giving he is administering the test for Sammy Jenkins in the flashback in the black and white flashback wow yeah he's the guy that he gives him the finger he's like fuck you or whatever like that guy is tom lennon from reno that's awesome he's he's hilarious man (laughs) that's pretty funny (laughs) yeah man what about the reveal where he's been talking to this guy on the phone for for all this time and scratching at his tattoo and then he lifts the lifts the bandage and it says never talk on the phone or something like that and never answer the phone and Mm -hmm. he's like wait who is this and he realizes he doesn't even know who this person is on the phone and I don't know, man. Like that—that that gives me chills just thinking about it.
0: Well, that—that that, and we haven't even really talked about that whole like black and white, um, you know, forward-moving story yep. that we yep. get, uh, which meets up basically. The the two stories meet up at the end, you know, like the beginning of one
1: and the end yes, of the they, other. Th- that's why I said it's kind of the middle because you have the one linear story of the black and white that's broken up, but is still progressing linearly. And then you have the backward story, and then they they reach each other, and at, at this at this middle moment. Right. And we that's where we also learn that Teddy is the one who's been on the phone with him. It seems. Right. All along.
0: I love the the uh, high contrast uh, shots and everything that we get, which is very like film noir, like smoky rooms, talking on the telephone, um, just all screams film noir to me. And it, it, like, I feel a kinship to film noir and I I have for a long time because um, like the first short film that I directed was, was a f- like a satirical film noir. So like, it, it's always like... Anything film noir, I, I feel like I'm really keyed in on like looking at visual aesthetics and like and like kind of the tropes and and you know uh, it was just a lot of fun to look at this because that's kind of I, I was thinking of what was Christopher Nolan thinking when he wanted to approach a a, a modern noir film?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's cool to take something sort of like old school and classic and then reimagine it. Like, I think that's always a fun exercise, and that, I, th- I do think that's what this movie is. Now, I caught, so, so I, was, I was in the habit of pausing this, this movie at times, and at the end of the movie, I paused it because there's a few frames um, I caught for the first time, and I've seen this movie like eight or nine times. This is the first time I've caught it. There are a few, few frames when he's driving away from um, having just decided to set up Teddy and go, mm-hmm. because what he's doing is he's driving to the, to the tattoo shop to get the license plate tattooed on his thigh as a fact right and that's the other thing that combined with don't believe his lies once you get those two things into motion like it's gonna end in him killing this guy because he knows he's a john g right right um and the when he's driving towards that he's thinking and he's like could like he's he's like having doubt i think about about what am i am i am i making up stories am i wrong and then he had then he like snaps out of it and he goes no you know like uh he, I can't remember the exact line, but he essentially snaps out of it and decides that he's doing the right thing. Right? Do you remember right. this part of the end? Yeah.
0: There's actually like in that moment, there's also like a music cue, like the score kind of like is settling and it's like more somber, and then it's like no, and it's like it like perks yeah, back wakes up. up, yeah. And, and it kind of is just like he's like, and he like, comes to he's... a screeching halt at the tattoo parlor, right?
1: And that's like the very end, really. Yeah. So during that, there are interspersed scenes of him laying in bed with his wife, mm-hmm. and she's like touching his chest and uh, to say. all the tattoos he has
0: a new tattoo yeah I saw and he that. has a
1: new tattoo over his heart yeah. and did you stop it and see what it says yeah it, it,
0: i'm trying to think of what it was now though i i, I didn't stop it I, I saw what it said it said like i did it or something or yeah what, it what says it? i've
1: done it i think is, is what i what i was able to catch right. um which you actually have to like pause it I, th- I think there might be one frame where you can see the whole word otherwise you have to kind of like read it in parts but yeah it's right. i've done it and it's over his heart so what is that is the question. What right. is that scene? <laughs> and the
0: problem with that is it leads back to to why there's it's that's why it is open ended. Right. Is because it's the scene where it said he, the tattoo clearly says I did it. And you're like, OK, so this is Nolan saying that he did it. But his wife is with him His and wife she's is not alive and she's dead. So that, like that's not a reliable scene. Yeah,
1: because if he's Sammy Jenkins at all, she's dead because of the because of the insulin if he's right. if he's just Leonard, she's dead because that's how he remembers it going down. right. So the only thing I can think of is that this is so in my opinion, what this is is the moment that we see a little bit of the catharsis of having achieved the vengeance that he wanted, he's imagining it by setting up John G. right? He's setting up Teddy to be John G. and he's imagining the catharsis. And maybe that's also tied up with what john with what Teddy told him. About how he has killed him in the past, like you already killed your John G. Right. This is him like having a momentary catharsis of having achieved a victory, essentially, mm-hmm. and that is the imagining of his like loving wife being back in his arms and him having the tattoo that he's been saving the spot for over his heart. And then it's I think the reason it's so fleeting and it's, it's there and gone in an instant is because he immediately forgets this moment of catharsis right. it's immediately gone yep yeah, yeah like so that. that was my reading of that that little frame there
0: and that makes sense so i think it's, it's kind like... of
1: a fantasy not not a real scene because if it's a real yeah. scene it completely throws everything into <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah I,
0: I don't on. i don't think it could have been a real scene either the um but yeah like we said because he you know he, we talked about the segments that he lives his life in and it's like um for him to have built up all of this and and like I was talking about before, he'd have to learn everything he knew every single time he reverts and and like has to to be reminded of everything that's happened up to this point since his wife's death. Um, It's been building to that, right? It's been building to that moment where he can be like, I did it. And even though he did it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because it, yeah. it all, all that it means is that he's made the decision it's going to happen but he's never going to be able to live a normal life where he can he can feel any sort of um like vengeance or any sort of like um accomplishment for any yeah. period of time other, well, than, and even other than momentary like you know 10 minute spans or whatever his in the movie are
1: even with my reading of him being sammy jenkins um him deciding to kill teddy is still probably the right decision, right? Because this guy is essentially using him to commit murders, regardless. Whether or not he is Sammy Jenkins, right, he's yeah. using him to kill people. And he's either using him to kill people just because he's fully abusing and using him, or because um, he killed John G. originally and then now it's just useful to keep to keep repeating this cycle. Either way, Teddy was bad, right? So in that sense, I, you know what I mean? He's not like completely a villain at the end. Right. Um so a couple other things I noticed that in that flash, those few frames, his face is actually very neutral. His wife looks sort of like happy. She's looking at the words on his chest, but his face, is he's kind of like leaning back and just kind of like blankly looking upward. And so he's not happy, but he's not necessarily sad. I noticed he's clean shaven instead of this sort of like more scraggly look that he has in several other parts of the movie. Um, so I don't know what all of that means. Um, other than maybe that's, like, his imagined version of himself, or he doesn't know how to feel about it, or he he, he can, like, it's so transient that he, there's no real happiness there. I don't know what that means and why he why he wasn't smiling, for example, in that, in that flash. Yeah. Maybe he's conflicted about it. I don't know. Um, and he does say, also, I have the line here. He says, we all need mirrors to remind ourselves who we are. I'm not different. And that's, where he, that's kind of where he flashes and, like, settles into, like, convincing himself that he he has done the right thing
0: wasn't that i think that's in the short film or in the short the short story i'm pretty sure that lines from the short story as well
1: uh maybe
0: because i I, there were like one or two other times that i that i heard almost exact lines from the from the short story so well i i don't know if it's exact but what was the line that you said again we all need mirrors to remind
1: ourselves who we are i'm not different
0: yeah so in in the short story the line is after all everybody else needs mirrors to remind themselves who they are you, you are no different
1: yeah so essentially the same thing yeah. so if you get that that modified pov um so what so what now that's not the end of the story though right like that's somewhere in the, towards the middle right yeah that's like uh three-fourths yeah but it's an interesting observation right and and that's what, what do you take from that like the idea that we need a mirror to remind ourselves who we are what does that mean
0: well, I think it's interesting because it's like a moment of reflection and introspection and, and like seeing like, like, like checking in with yourself. And I think that it's interesting because a, a character in his, his point of view or his situation um, can't really reflect or, or have any introspection on like anything that's happened recently to them. You know, it's like they can only reflect on what they were.
1: They can't reflect on like what's currently going on. I think there's a lot of talking about like living in the moment and how he's forced to live in the moment. We all are forced to live in the moment. And in a sense, looking in a mirror is sort of like the evidence of a past self. Because you see the person that has been built up through a life. You see whether or not you're overweight, or you see whether or not you have a scar, or you see, you know, like, that's the evidence of a past. And you normally, like, yeah, you might better look down and see it. But I think it's, it's symbolically, you're looking in a mirror, seeing the whole package. Like, that's right. me. And that's proof of a life lived outside of this moment where we all sort of exist right in in our minds and i think i think maybe that's what they're trying to get at and he's saying that we're all like that but for him it's just he absolutely has to look in the mirror because because he has absolutely no memory otherwise right
0: and like his his memories are like on his body and and yeah i think that you're right i think that's that's hitting the nail on the head there
1: well, I think that sounds like a good place because we were able to link the short story to the movie, which is always that's always fun. So I think that's probably a good spot. It seems like there's a lot more we could delve into with this movie. Uh, we didn't even really talk about the beginning, which I think is really interesting. This this re- like played in reverse shot of him, you know, it starts the movie off of a picture, a Polaroid picture of a man who's been shot in the head, and then the picture slowly like fades in reverse, reverses time, and then we we see him catch a gun and then shoot a man in the head who we don't know and who's like calling you know, like begging for his own life. So this movie starts out like pitch black, really really right. dark. I, and and uh, that that immediately grabs geni- you too.
0: And that's a genius shot to to start with. That's that's iconic at this point. Just the 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 you're getting a, a polaroid and then the flicking, the shaking of a Polaroid picture, it, it fading out over time. Like that's yeah. that's just a genius way to start a movie right there. So, so picture, cool. it's, it's picturesque. It's it's um, it's really deep. It's it, There's a lot of meaning in it, and and you know like the entire story is kind of just symbolically
1: playing out with that the you know that one shot. Absolutely, man. And, and that's the thing, man. We've talked about it. This is a unified film of form, of of every little flare that's done. Um, the way that the forward in time, backward in time unifies the nature of the climax and the way that it ripples back through the rest of the story, all of this is done with intention. All of it is done in ways that just builds on itself. Nothing feels like an extraneous flourish. To me, to me, it all feels integrated, and that's why uh, you know I don't I don't know who was talking about this movie to you like that, but I I, I could respect the idea, but ultimately I disagree because I think this movie is amazing and i think it does have a really powerful climax that makes you think and i think it's i think it's ambiguous but i think when you really dig into it um it's rewarding and and uh, at least this experience watching it was was maybe my best yet just because i was able to dig into it so much um and read the short story um but i just it's really elevated this movie once again um even higher than i already held it in high esteem from before this
0: Yeah. And I think the main, the main point to, to the main thing to point to with that would be, it's not a, it's not a typical movie in, in like the, in a narrative sense. And I think that like, you know, change and things that are different typically will, you know, sometimes turn certain people off. So it's just really, you know, it's just really Mm -hmm. comes down to, uh preference and and i think and i that mean
1: art's subjective if you if you if this all just sounds too complicated and you know what i mean like you watched it and you were like it was just too complicated and i couldn't not, not to say like you couldn't follow it but like you didn't want to like it just threw you too much and you weren't interested in, in having to work that hard right you know what i mean like there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing you're not inherently wrong that's just how you prefer to enjoy watching movies i wouldn't want to watch i wouldn't want all my movies to be like this right like it's a it's a unique experience that i happen to enjoy um but I think it's time to move on. I do want to give a shout out to my brother Ben um, because he wrote us and said this is his absolute favorite movie. He even said not not my favorite movie, like James says favorite movie, but my real favorite movie.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna have to dis- I'm gonna have to start defending my my favorite movies a little better.
1: My my thing is it's just like like
0: I've got millions of favorite movies. There's, you can't tell me otherwise.
1: Yeah. No man i I commented on our our council of inklings we I had like a thing of favorite movies and I, I put three out there, but I immediately wanted to like add three more I'm like, yeah, here's my next three like I really is so hard. I just yeah, made myself a, do it as an exercise but it feels it's like tough, a
0: man. it feels like a slippery slope to me like i I just start I start picking my favorite movie and then it's just like not true uh yeah. <laughs> so i don't know yeah I, I, an hour you know, later could, you're like that's not even right yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i could give somebody like my top 100 films or something crazy like that but like <laughs> but, but, but like short of that like you're not one gonna of these do days long. i'm gonna
1: pin you down and we're and we're gonna do like a top 10 well, no particular they, order or something I, I can also
0: say that like there are movies like i'm i'm perfectly comfortable saying that like fellowship of the ring is one of the films that made me like you know as into film it really yeah. like engaged me in, and it's one of the movies that it's the reason why i'm involved in filmmaking so you know, in that sense, that's that's probably like one of my favorite movies. Period. Yeah. Like like you yeah. know, top three movies of well, all time. Well, in one of
1: these days, I'm gonna force you to choose ten movies, and that's just gonna be it. You're only gonna yeah. get ten, and they're in. That's it. And you're gonna have all to choose. Right. We'll do you it. You gotta give me like a a year's notice. And no, I'll maybe start, we'll do uh, it on our hundredth episode. That could be fun. Yeah, yeah. I'll do my we'll best. About I'll it. I'll give you ten <laughs> plus like fifty more
0: well this is what we'll do this is what we'll do
1: give me a genre okay. and give me at least like a like <laughs> a decade I, give me give me 20 my top 20 from each genre in each decade no yeah. nobody no, wants give... that james we want to force you to pick 10 all right that's what we want maybe i'll do it maybe i'll do it okay we'll think about it um i do want to get there's going to be i think i have a, an idea for a little teaser thing a little a little stinger here um i think at the, at the very end of this episode we should reveal what our project is going to be following the 100th episode which i don't think we've said yet so that could be cool. So stick around to the very end and we'll, we're going to reveal that. Uh, but Before we do, we want to thank our, pa- our a new patron, Carlos R. Uh, thank you so much for becoming a patron. We really appreciate it. You help keep this podcast going. Um, we're, we're happy to have you along for this and you're going to get a token with all of the other patrons. And uh, yeah, we're happy to have you, man. And if you want to find out how to become a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash to film.
0: Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at Inktofilm. And join the Council of Inklings because it's the best place to hear some adaptation news that we post on there. Uh, get involved in some of the polls that we put out in order to do our, our bonus episodes and also our, our normal feed episodes. Uh, it's just a fun place to interact, and, and I always like seeing people post in there.
1: Yeah, also a good place to to dump all your adaptation related memes. We yes. appreciate adaptation memes, <laughs> Lord <laughs> of the Rings memes, you know, Stephen King memes. It's, they're all they're all welcome um even for projects we haven't covered yet um yeah council of inklings for sure check it out uh also if you can leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use or on facebook or just anywhere where you can do it um, that would be hugely helpful that's a free way you can help the podcast out another free way is to tell a friend who you think might like this podcast tell them about it and we would greatly appreciate it thank you to jennifer delizana for providing our
0: transcripts and thank you to ross bugden for the use of our intro and outro music
1: all right, man, so let's do the stinger now, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about maybe we should take the very end of the episode and put it right at the front, but I don't think we're going to do that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, it, we thought about doing it, maybe. Um, maybe we'll do something else. I don't know. I want to I reveal our next project, and it's not going to be the 100th episode. It's going to be the one, 101. We're going to be covering Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which uh, is a new movie uh, that I am excited to see, but I'm even more excited to talk about the book, because it was an absolute classic for me growing up.
0: Yeah, I remember reading like uh, one of one or two of the stories in there, but I honestly, couldn't couldn't tell you much about it. So I'm excited. I'm basically going in blind. I've seen one of the trailers. Um, I'm looking yep. forward to it. You know, Guillermo del Toro's involved, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out.
1: Yeah, it looks dark. It looks twisted. My favorite thing about the books is the is the art. Honestly, more than the stories. I'm gonna be interested to kind of dig back into those. I know they're kind of based off of urban legends, so that'll be cool. But yeah, I hope the movie's gonna be good. Either way, we're going to talk about it. Episode 101. All right, we will see you for episode 100. Until then, thank you for listening.